if you ask me, I'm an avid hunter. I mean, I've spent hours at a time hunting for the exact pair of shoes that look just like the last pair of shoes I wore until they burst holes in the sides. I've hunted for the perfect sketch pad that would fit my personality as I'm drawing pictures. I've hunted for the shirts that I would like to wear until my wife refuses to go in public with me anymore until I change it for one that's not got me all over it anymore. But when it comes to hunting with an actual weapon, maybe not so much. But the people that I like to hang around with tend to be avid hunters. In fact, they could hunt for the perfect gun, not at the gun store, but in any room of their house and find the one that they were looking for and probably a spare or two. And they'll be able to tell you all the specs, who created that particular gun, what year, model, why it was the perfect buy. Almost like when my wife would say that we had to buy this or that particular item because it was on sale and it would have cost us more had we not bought it. I don't understand the concept of those particular sales because if you don't buy something, you don't expend money. But apparently if you buy six of them at a discounted price, then in the long run, you have all of the yarn that you will need for that week. So that logic transferred onto the soldier's mind of we had to have bought the guns that we bought this week because really we would have been losing money not to buy them in bulk like we did. So when my good buddy Eddie Ford asked if I would go on a hunting trip with him, my obvious instant answer was absolutely. Not because I'm as avid a hunter as he is, but because it meant I got to spend some quality time with the storyteller. And I just love that man so much. And so it was like, absolutely. However, comma, there's a few things I might need. He said, like what? And I said, like, maybe some bullets and, I don't know, maybe a gun to put the bullets in, a holster to put the gun in, maybe a lesson or two on how to fire said gun. You know, just a few of the minor things. And he said that he had me hooked up, not to worry about it, and that he had actually picked out a, a weapon for me. And that got me curious just to begin with, because when Eddie shops for a gun for you, and he matches it to you, he matches it to your personality. For instance, his wife Jessica, for the longest time, wouldn't carry a gun, and he had thought that he had been doing something wrong as a husband, because she was a Ford, after all, and wasn't carrying a weapon. And then it just turned out that she wasn't carrying it, not because she had an aversion to it, but because it didn't go with her Louis Vuitton purse. So knowing that was the obstacle he had to overcome, he bought a handgun for her and then spent several hundred dollars to have it professionally coated with the exact Louis Vuitton pattern of her purse. And then she carried it everywhere because now it matched. So when he had a gun for me, I was pretty excited to see what kind of personality Eddie matched for me gun-wise. 
And when he showed it to me, he said, this is the same gun my wife carries, so you should be able to handle it. And I thanked him because I didn't have a gun to take with me. So where we were going to go hunting wasn't here in Texas. It was in Kansas, where his brother Reggie lives. Brother Reggie had a house up there, was excited for us to come down. We'd get to spend a couple of days going through fields from some of his friends that were perfect for pheasants, and it was going to be amazing. So Eddie, myself, and his son Ethan loaded up in a truck and had weapons bristling everywhere out of it, and we set off the eight or nine hours to go to Kansas. I like Texas hunting laws for veterans, by the way, because for people with a military ID card, your hunting license are free. Not so in Kansas. It was pretty expensive to get a hunting license. Not nearly as expensive as it was for Eddie, I'm sure, because he got all of his equipment and mine. So thank you for that, Eddie. For me... I was just excited to go on this mancation, and the whole way down to Kansas, I got regaled with stories of Eddie's youth, getting to hear how he had pretty much psychologically abused his brother Reggie growing up, and that instantly made me feel this feeling of kinship with Reggie, because my childhood was very similar, being the youngest of three brothers, and whenever the two eldest would fight, whoever lost came to torment me. So Reggie automatically had my vote after some of the traumatic lifetime events that Eddie shared with me on the way up there. And when we got to Kansas and I got to meet Reggie for the first time, Ethan called him Uncle Reggie. And so he will always be Uncle Reggie in my mind. A great big bear of a man, but as soon as I met him, instantly made me feel welcome in his home and within just a few short hours of knowing him made me feel like I was part of the family so Uncle Reggie got us all situated at his house got us introduced to several of his friends that were allowing us to use their property to go pheasant hunting on and very excited about what was going to happen and the trauma that we're going to bring on all fowl in Kansas in the next few days and I realized once we got there and we began to settle in this house that I was so excited about coming on the trip that in my overnight bag and I say overnight bag because it was an overnight bag even though we were going to be there for five days I had brought refreshments like snacks and drinks and not anything else really so I had no changes of clothes. I had my pair of jeans that I was wearing and the shirt that I had on. I had a jacket on because Kansas gets pretty cold, but that was really my extent of packing. So for that, my man card can stay a man card because I didn't pack like a girl, I suppose, which I guess normally I do pack like a girl because it's my wife who packs for me. In fact, I think I'm actually going to pause for a second to go and punch my own man card on that note. I'll be right back. Listen here. I don't fear. 
after a restful night at Uncle Reggie's house in a pair of PJs I borrowed from Ethan. And let me say that that experience proved to me that I still have a 28-inch waist because that's what Ethan has. The problem is that I have a 37-inch stomach that wrapped around the circumference of that 28-inch waist for those PJs, but at least they weren't my blue jeans. So after that comfortable night, we woke up the next morning to go on this record pheasant hunt, and it was actually really cool. We drove way out into the country, and I'm sure if you had an aerial view, you'd see the patch quilt work farmsteads with acres and acres of different crops that had been growing and we were going out to a couple of different cornfields that had just recently been cleared off so all of the stubble on the rows were perfect hiding places for the pheasants we met up with a couple of other hunters that were going to be joining us they had their hunting dogs that would be going out running and finding the pheasants and scaring them up in the air force and so we walked shoulder to shoulder down these lines and throughout the day we got to talk, find out where people were from, some of their backgrounds, how often they'd been hunting. And I was typically the one that did a lot of listening because I didn't have a whole lot of man car to inject with my avid hunting trips. But we had been going for several hours and hadn't caught sight of very many pheasants, but we kept noticing off in the adjacent field that had not been cut down yet that every time a pheasant was missed it would fly over to this field that had like chest high grasses in it for several acres and throughout the day it seemed like every pheasant in Kansas was flying to this particular couple of acres to hide in but the problem was it wasn't Uncle Reggie's land and he hadn't coordinated with the owner of that property to allow us access to hunt on it. And I think the pheasants had prior knowledge of this lack of foresight. And so before our hunt, they all got together and used that as their sanctuary city because it seemed like there were entire family groups of pheasants from several different nations who were flying to this one particular patch that we weren't allowed to enter. And Reggie actually tried to get us access to that land. He called the owners, but nobody answered. He actually sent a runner at one point to go to a place where someone knew that particular owner and could get a hold of him, but after waiting for a while, they couldn't find him. He was nowhere to be found. He was probably in that field with all of those pheasants receiving gifts like a Italian mafia don as they came and offered him congratulations on the marriage of his daughter and hoped that her first child would be a masculine child. And thank you for the protection from those hunters because they all looked pretty scary, except for one who didn't really know where to point the muzzle of his weapon as he was looking around, wondering whether or not he was going to have to go hunt for another pair of shoes when he finished this outing. So at one point I asked, well, couldn't a few of us just 
walk through that field, not with our weapons because we're not allowed to hunt on it, but maybe just walk from the end of it towards the hunters and whatever we could scare up as we walked would go back to the field that we were hunting in and then we could have game on. And initially, everyone said, no, we can't do that. That's trespassing. I mean, there were no fences. There were no no trespassing signs up. But they said the spirit of this was, no, you're not allowed to be on somebody else's property scaring up birds to come onto the property where we're hunting. So we didn't for a long time. But as the day wore on and people began to wear thin on not having things to shoot my idea of walking across the field was looking better and better so finally i said look i'll just go over to the edge of the property and look over because you could see a direct demarcation line you had the field that we're allowed to be on that was recently cleared you had stubble that was ankle high and then you were standing at a wall of grasses that were up to my chest to neck height so my kids would say so about three three and a half feet tall but across that several acres of property it was just this wall of grasses that led to the dirt road on the end of the property on the other side of the dirt road was the other cleared field that we were allowed to hunt on so i walked to the edge of it and then nonchalantly cut into the middle of the grass began walking back towards the field stopping as much as I could, arms out like I was Russell Crowe in The Gladiator as he's in the Elysium Fields rubbing my hands across the top of the grain. And then all of a sudden, the ground disappeared. I went to take a step and there was no ground. There had been a large hole that was covered over by some of the thicker stalks on top. And I stepped right into it and it went over my head I fell down into this pit and in the instant in my mind I was thinking I've just fallen into the pit where they keep lions and I must have just missed the Punjabi sticks that were sticking up to capture me and because I'd lucked out there I needed to get out of this hole as quickly as I could and so I scrambled back up as fast as I could out of this pit that was randomly in the middle of this field and I couldn't say anything about it one because I wasn't supposed to be there and so it probably served me right in the first place but two I didn't want to make more noise than I had to because whatever lived in that pit might still be in there hibernating and I didn't want to wake it up so scrambled back out of it popped back up as quick as I could saw off in the distance a lot of these hunters just staring at me wondering what I was doing so I had to pretend like I didn't just injure myself and limp in a manly fashion through the rest of the field got to the end I don't know if I scared any pheasant at all but I scared myself pretty good got to the end got back onto our fields and went back to walking again shoulder to shoulder we'd go down these newly cleared corn rows and as you'd walk people would drift kind of forward and, and backwards a little bit in the line as different conversations took them and we were out there for another three four hours and didn't catch really a whole lot and so finally we we're going to call it a day for that day and try it again the next morning so went back to the trucks got in the back and got out some of the waters that uncle reggie had brought with him asked some of the other hunters if they were thirsty they said absolutely so i tossed them several of the water bottles and 
then I saw Uncle Reggie's face come over the back of the truck, and he said, I just want to tell you, Chaplain, that I appreciate you giving out things that you didn't buy. I said, oh, my goodness, I guess I didn't buy these waters. I'm so sorry, Uncle Reggie. And he laughed and said, I'm just kidding. You can get mad if you want to. But we left from there to go to a grocery store. Now I had this guilt inside that, yeah, he was joking, but I really did give away his bottled waters to other people. So I decided to go in the store and buy another case of waters for him. So we got out and we're walking through the aisles and there was an older woman with probably her grandson walking with her and in the little country store. As I'm going down the aisles, at one point I thought I'd heard an intake of air, like a, a gasp from the woman. So I turned around to see if something had fallen, but didn't see anything on the ground, looked at the shelves and she looked at me and I... So I interpreted the look on her face as he's not from these parts and I returned the stare as well obviously and so she left that aisle holding her grandchild like she was keeping him away from the bad man and then I was kind of offended a little bit <laughs> what had I done so went back through the aisles walked around a little bit and occasionally i'd turn the aisle and she or another customer would be there see me and they would go to a different aisle then i was thinking man i just must smell really bad but i got the case of waters went back out to the truck and as we drove home eddie told uncle reggie and said i know we got one or two pheasants why don't you show chaplain how to clean them so he said that's fine i'd be happy to so we went out into his garage and he had this little setup there where he could clean the pheasants and he had an extra chair leaning up against the side of the garage. It was one of the metal folding chairs. So he handed it to me. I took it, set it down, went to sit on it, and I instantly jumped back up. And I said, oh, that's got like water all over it. I just soaked my pants bottom. And he said, really? And I looked at the chair and there was no water on the chair. And I felt the chair, and it was like ice cold because it was metal and had been sitting in his garage this whole time. But then I felt the back of my trousers and realized that I wasn't feeling trousers. I was just feeling my backside. There was a large tear that must have happened when I fell in the hole in the middle of the field, and it had ripped open, and I, for some reason decided because we were on a manly hunting trip I was going commando and so for the last six hours of the day I had been walking around a field with other hunters occasionally drifting behind me realizing that my backside was open to God and everyone and no one said anything to me and then I think of that woman and her grandson in that little store that must have turned the aisle and saw me cracking a smile in a way that I don't like to think about. And her stares make a lot more sense to me. So I didn't get any pheasant when I went hunting with Uncle Reggie, but I did get several vivid memories that I'm hoping to one day purge. Good friends, good time, man stuff.